Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, again, good morning. Uh, Great to see everybody. It's great to be back. Uh, As some of you are aware, I had uh, the joy and privilege of uh, being in Rwanda for... um, for about a week, it was a 10-day trip, all total, got back last weekend, and uh, it, was, it was an amazing, amazing time. i uh, never been to Rwanda, uh, it was a beautiful country, beautiful people, many uh, of us know Rwanda because of the uh, terrible genocide that occurred there, and it was just amazing to see uh, the healing work that God has done over the last several decades uh, there, and, um, and just... Really, I was really encouraged by the critical role that the Anglican Church has played in that healing process uh, within the nation. And so, uh, so much so that the president of Rwanda was there to open uh, the conference that I attended uh, with uh, representatives from all over the Anglican Church. And so uh, this morning, I wanted to share a little bit about my trip uh, with you, uh, what I saw God doing, and why I think it's important for us uh, as followers of Christ and for us as Church of the Apostles here uh, as an Anglican church here in Houston. And so, uh, so we're going to look at that. I did want to just show you real quick. I think we have a, a video. I also had a little fun. So this, was, uh, this is my new buddy. Uh, this is Hippo. Uh, he, uh, he and a bunch of his friends were kind of hanging out. We went to this national park. We got to see uh, a bunch of these things just walking around, and they are otherworldly, aren't they? I mean, just when you see them up close and in person, and they are huge. I mean, this guy probably was about on the, on the back. He was probably as tall as I am. Uh, so big, big, big guy. Uh, so we got to see this. We got to do a little safari on the side, which was really awesome. It was funny. Uh, in another video, it crosses the road right in front of our car, and I've been working really hard to come up with a good why did the hippo cross the road joke. I just couldn't, couldn't quite get there. So if you know one, let me know. I'd love to use it. Um, but we saw giraffe and zebras and all kinds of uh, cool stuff. Uh, and then uh, the, the real highlights for me, uh, apart from getting to travel with two of my best friends in the world who are also Anglican priests uh, here in the U.S., um, was really just to witness what God's doing in the global church. Uh, it was amazing to, to be a part of. And so I, I really do want to uh, spend some time just talking with you about uh, what God is doing uh, in uh, the global church and in Anglicanism around the world and why that matters for us. So just a few things I wanted to share and maybe to, to kind of help orient us, give us some context uh, to explain what, what was this trip, what was this conference I went to. It was something called GAFCON. GAFCON is, uh, stands for the Global Anglican Future Conference. And what it represents is a movement of Anglicans around the world who are seeking to faithfully follow Jesus and share the gospel with the world. And so it was amazing to, to be in a room gathered to worship with over 1,300 delegates from 53 countries around the world uh, who are gathered to, to worship Jesus and to hear uh, teaching on the scripture and pray together. And that's what we spent our time doing. Each day we would praise God in the morning, then we'd spend an extended time in prayer together, uh, praying for different things. And I'll share a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, and then also studying what God's word said. We spent the, the 
week in the, the book of Colossians. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted us to read from Colossians. And again, I'll come back to that in, in a few minutes. I met amazing Christians. Uh, met uh, a guy named Incencio from Madagascar who had lost everything uh, in a typhoon that hit there uh, a couple months ago, some of you are aware. Uh, and he is training up uh, people to, to be leaders in the church. And he's doing discipleship work there in Madagascar, met uh, Hope from Uganda and Santosh from England, and just heard testimony after testimony of folks who are in the persecuted world, uh, persecuted Christians, living faithfully and, and glorifying Christ, even in the midst of their suffering. Just amazing, amazing and encouraging time. I have more stories than I can possibly uh, share with you guys. Um, one of the things that was really powerful for me uh, in particular was the gathered time of worship. So much so that the first uh, day we gathered, I just began to weep uh, as we worshiped. And I think I, we have a picture of that. So this was just the gathering as we worshiped. They had a, a praise band from uh, Rwanda there. and we, we sang African praise songs and hymns and modern worship songs. And just it just filled that place with the praise of God. Again, 53 different countries represented. Um, in the room... Uh, there were representatives from about 85% of the Anglican communion, which represents uh, about 70 million Anglicans around the world. And so uh, as we were gathered there, the thing that we had in common, in addition to the, the, the person of Jesus, was this shared tradition uh, of our Anglican tradition, which goes all the way back to the church's mission in England some 1,900 years. And so there's this kind of family sense uh, that we shared together, and that was really important and really significant. And so uh, that's what that kind of connects us with this group, is that shared tradition, that sense of family, a global family, what we call a global communion. And so uh, we're part of a, a diocese that's part of the Anglican Church in North America, which is part of this Anglican communion uh, that's gathered around the world. And I am an Anglican pastor, and so you are part of an Anglican church. And so this is all kind of woven together, and we got to be there, and I got to uh, serve as a delegate for our diocese and represent apostles, for which I was incredibly grateful. Um, so with all this that we were celebrating and giving thanks for, there was also a sadness uh, to our gathering. Um, so sadly, across the world, uh, some Anglican bishops and pastors and, and Anglican institutions, uh, primarily in Western countries, so countries like Australia, um, New Zealand, Canada, England, the Episcopal Church in the United States, the Episcopal Church in Brazil, uh, really, if I could just sum it up, have turned from Jesus as Lord and have uh, compromised on biblical teaching as the church has received it down through the centuries, compromised on church doctrine, uh, especially in but not limited to matters of human sexuality. And so the most recent example of this has been a vote by the General Synod, which is the, the uh, governing body of the Church of England, uh, to allow pastors to bless same-sex unions. And so this was kind of a critical tipping point within the global Anglican community. And so as GAFCON gathered, one of the goals was to pray and seek the Lord and ask how he would guide us uh, with what's going on in these areas of compromise and really false gospels being proclaimed uh, in the midst of the Anglican communion. So what happened was we, through prayer and, and uh, studying the scriptures together, we crafted and released a statement called the Kigali Commitment 2023. And if you've not had a chance to read it, um, it, it was included in the weekly email. We'll, we'll send it out again this week. But I encourage you to read it. Uh, but to summarize it, the statement contains about eight separate topics that are addressed, including things like this current crisis that I'm describing in the Anglican Communion. 
included uh, the failure of the current Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, uh, to really fulfill the duties of his office as uh, kind of a figurative head and kind of binding uh, office for the communion. Uh, it was a call to repentance and restoration, and it mapped out some beginning steps for kind of resetting the communion uh, really around the person of Jesus and around his mission in the world. So th- this resetting idea is, is really significant. It's, a, it's an urgent matter for the Anglican church around the world. The goal is that Orthodox Anglicans worldwide would have a clear identity in the world, would have a global spiritual home, and that there would be strong leadership and a structure, a leadership structure that gives stability and direction to global Anglicans as we fulfill God's call and mission for us as the church in the world, as a part of the church. So uh, to quote my buddy Sam Ferguson, who was on the trip with me, he said, those of us who were gathered last week in Kigali, Rwanda for GAFCON are believing and we are praying that this crisis uh, is the birth pains of a renewed communion with an Anglicanism and not its death throes. So there is an urgency, and there was an urgency to this gathering. Now, you may be asking at this point, how is that relevant, uh, really, to us as apostles here in Houston? And and more to the point, how is that relevant to us as followers of Jesus uh, as we're living out our our calling day to day? And so I want to talk just real quickly and give you, I think, as I've thought and prayed about this and reflecting on my time there, four ways that I think this is incredibly important. Just briefly sharing four ways that I think this is important for us as apostles, for our diocese, and for us as followers of Jesus. So the first is this. A hurting and sinful world needs a faithful global witness. A hurting and sinful world needs a faithful global witness. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is all peoples, all peoples of the earth, that they would hear the good news of this Jesus that we've come to know. Uh, In Acts 1, Jesus, uh, before he ascended, he told them, he said, I want you to take this gospel to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so God sent his son, John 3, 16, to save the world, the whole world, not just some parts of of the world. So on the flight to the conference, I had a chance to sit next to a guy, and this was totally a God thing, but this, this guy, Mark, was his name. He was, I was asking him what he did for a living. It turns out he's in ministry, totally unrelated to GAFCON trip. He's in, in route to go and do work among unreached people groups, and what he does is he communicates the gospel orally to people that have no written language. So if you can imagine people who've never read a Bible, never had a Bible translated into their language because they don't have a written language. And so he's communicating the gospel uh, to people that desperately need to hear it and have never had the chance because it's never been translated into their language. And it just highlighted again for me uh, that there are people, literally millions, billions of people who have never heard the good news of Jesus, who need a global witness. And so we as Anglicans, we are a part of that global witness. God has called us to be faithful in that. It's the third largest Christian tradition in the world. It's critical that the Anglican witness, as a part of that witness, remain faithful to Christ. We must contend for the grace and truth of the gospel that billions in the world have yet to know. And so what happens on a global level is important to us at a local level. And so we need to pray to that end and be mindful of that and ask the Lord to continue to use us in any way he desires to support that global mission. 
So that's the first thing. A hurting, sinful world needs a faithful global witness. Second uh, takeaway for me was that faithfulness to Jesus Christ is inseparable from faithfulness to his word. Faithfulness to Jesus and faithfulness to his word are inseparable. We live in a really confusing cultural moment. We live in a really confusing time. Truth in so many layers, in so many ways, is up for grabs. And it's not just out there, it's in the church. Um, Church leaders, including many Anglicans and Episcopalians, they they talk about loving Jesus, right? They talk about uh, Christ speaking through the scriptures. They talk about things like a commitment to, to God's mission in the world. All things that any of us as faithful followers of Jesus would say yes and amen to. But if you listen carefully and if you listen long enough, the tune changes. Jesus and scripture and God's mission are redefined by ideologies rather than by God's word. Jesus and the word cannot be separated. The decisive issue for Anglicans today is the same as it was during the Reformation. It's the authority of the scripture, of the Bible, and it's plain interpretation. The Bible doesn't sit below or alongside human reason or tradition. It is interpreted, it is not interpreted uh, like a piece of art where we all kind of see what we want to see and it means what we want it to mean. Rather, as Kigali stated in uh, the commitment, this, the Bible is God's word written, breathed out by God as it was written by his faithful messengers. It carries God's own authority is its own interpreter, and it does not need to be supplemented, nor can it ever be overturned by human wisdom. God's good word is the rule of our lives as disciples of Jesus and is the final authority in the church. It grounds, energizes, and directs us in our mission to the world. The fellowship we enjoy with our risen and ascended Lord is nourished as we trust God's word, obey it, and encourage each other to allow it to shape each area of our lives. This fellowship is broken when we turn aside from God's word or attempt to reinterpret God's word in any way that overturns the plain reading of the text in its canonical and historical context and so denies its truthfulness, clarity, sufficiency, and thereby its authority. We cannot separate the truth of who Christ is from the truth of his word. We must have clarity. Knowing Christ and faithfulness to him are inseparable from the plain reading of the text of the Bible, God's word. As Paul writes in Colossians, as we read this morning, we must see to it that no one takes us captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the Bible and Jesus, faithfulness to both are required. They're inseparable. The third thing is this, a Christ-like church needs humble and courageous leadership. A Christ-like church needs humble and courageous leadership. One of the heartbreaking things for Anglicans around the world was the Archbishop of Canterbury's equivocation. And now his outright dissent from Christian teaching that stands in stark contrast to the clear and courageous leadership of other Anglicans, including those within the GAFCON movement, who have sacrificed much for the sake of the gospel. 
Gafcon 4 reminds us that God has structured the church by giving it pastors and shepherds, leaders in the church who are qualified by godly character on the one hand and by rightly handling God's word on the other. For their stewardship of this high calling, they will be judged. I will be judged. All who teach God's word will be judged strictly according to God's word. The failure of the Anglican communion has been a failure of leadership. But what I witnessed in Kigali, I was so encouraged by. It was not a proud, self-righteous, judgmental spirit of those that we oppose. And just to be clear, those we oppose are those leaders who have failed, those teachers who have failed in the church. What I witnessed in Kigali was a humble, repentant heart. It was a people who took Jesus' word in Matthew 7 that we read this morning to heart. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It was amazing each day when we gathered, we would spend time studying the scriptures together and then we would pray both in small groups and then as a, as a whole group. And the prayer, the focus of the prayer was repentance. Not calling for the repentance of others, but our repentance. I was so moved by that, that the the move of this group was to come before the Lord and acknowledge our own need for grace. Leaders in the Anglican church have and must be called to repentance. All leaders in all of the church must be called to repentance. Calling others to repentance always begins with seeing our own desperate need for Jesus. GAFCON is a reminder to search our own hearts and to pray for Christ-like leaders in our churches. If we want to see God move in our time, if we want another great awakening, if we want renewal, there must be repentance. That's where spiritual breakthrough always happens. It begins with repentance, and it begins with me, and it begins with you. I love what my friend Ray Ortland said. He said, the church should not expect repentance in the world until the world sees repentance in the church. And so it's a call for us to repent. Fourth takeaway, final takeaway, our local family needs the perspective of our global family. Our local church family needs the perspective of our global church family. Each of us have strengths and weaknesses, so does our church. We all have blind spots, including cultural ones, areas of discipleship shaped and shaded by our context. Being around Christians from around the world helps reveal blind spots in our own discipleship. It certainly did for me while I was there in Kigali. I just want to share one example. Um, There was a, a man from Sudan who gave his testimony as we gathered And I'm going to change the names to protect him because he serves in some very volatile and dangerous Muslim contexts. But uh, I'm going to call him Joe, very Sudanese name, Joe. Uh, Joe was sharing that he grew up uh, in a very radical Islamic context and that he was actually specifically, explicitly taught to hate Christians. Not just to disagree with them, but to hate them. Uh, And so Joe shared that in grade school, he and a bunch of his friends, when there was a new student, they found out he was a Christian. They, uh, They came after him after school and they beat him nearly to death. He never came back to school again and Joe never saw him again. And he was the ringleader of that. Fast forward a few years later, Joe comes to faith in Jesus 
after witnessing a couple of Coptic Christians pray for healing over another young boy in a hospital where he was visiting his uncle. And so after witnessing that, he began to explore Jesus, became a follower of Christ. And as he did that, his family, uh, once they found out he had converted, completely disowned him. Not only disowned him, they declared him dead. So much so that in the village where he was raised, they had a procession with a coffin that was empty. They laid it in the ground. They buried that coffin. They put a stone over it with his name and the date of his death on the site. He was dead to them. One day he came back to his village and he stood over his own grave and he was crying. He was crying out to the Lord because he had lost so much. And he didn't understand in his despair why God had done what he had done because it had cost him everything. And as he stood over his grave, crying out to the Lord, the Holy Spirit came to him, he said, and reminded him that his grave was empty, just as the empty grave of his Savior. That he was not buried in that tomb because he was alive in Christ. And not only that, that Jesus had given him a new family. And so he took that, he took that new life in Jesus, and he answered a call to become a priest, an Anglican priest. And now he ministers in context where there's so few witnesses for the gospel in the Middle East. And he had story after story of people coming to faith. There was a move among uh, Muslims coming to faith in Christ in our world. And we need to pray for that and praise God for that. And so he's, he's participating in that. And he said, to end his story, he was at a, a pastor's gathering uh, for pastors in the Middle East. And he said, as he was uh, standing there, a gentleman came up to him. He said, you, you probably don't remember me. Um, but he said, uh, he said, my name is Steve. And uh, that's not his real name, but his name was Steve. And he said, and I used to go to school with you. And one day after school, you and all your friends jumped me and beat me nearly to death. And I just wanted you to know that after that happened, I began to pray for you and for your friends that you would come to know the love of Jesus. And now I'm standing in front of you, one pastor talking to another pastor, one brother talking to another brother because we're family in Christ. And so he, he forgave Joe. And Joe said he'll never forget that, that that's formed and shaped his life and his ministry and his heart, that others would come to know this love of Jesus. And so I, you hear stories like that, and then you begin to think about what God's done for you. You begin to think about your own faith and your following Jesus. Only Jesus could do something like that. Only Jesus could do something that beautiful and that transforming and that costly. And he's done that in each of our lives. But the challenge is, because of our context, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get comfortable. Sometimes we get complacent. And we forget that our faith actually costs us something. At the end of his testimony, he said that he said, a Christianity that costs us nothing is not a biblical Christianity. And it was an encouragement. So often I follow Jesus in a way, again, that's comfortable and complacent. But God calls us to a costly following because he has demonstrated a costly love for us. And he loves us more than we could ever understand. So often in the church, we, we see our, our faith as kind of this, you know, at its worst, kind of this club or this kind of thing that we just do as an optional activity. We come on Sunday or we go to our group, life group on Wednesday. And those are good things. But in an increasingly hostile culture, we have to recognize that our calling will cost us. More and more, it will cost us. And that the church and a hostile culture has got to be increasingly more like family, 
like what this man Joe experienced and what this man Steve experienced, family in Christ. We need a faithful testimony like that again and again of brothers and sisters from around the world to remind us of what we have in Jesus. So attending GAFCON was an incredible privilege. Uh, I wish all of you could have come with me uh, just to witness and to hear uh, these kinds of stories. It was a gift to be reminded that we are not just a little church here in the Heights, but part of a great cloud of witnesses around the world. Um, We need to pray for our global church family. We need to pray. They're praying for us, and we need to pray for them. We need to support those who are sacrificing so much for the sake of the gospel, to take the gospel of the people who have never heard it. And so this afternoon, I'm excited because our our missions design team, which is newly formed, we're gonna gather for lunch this afternoon. We're gonna begin talking and praying about how we can be more intentional about that, both at a local level and a global level as a church. And we'll be talking more about that over the summer and going into the fall. I think God has a lot of exciting things for us to really enter into this global aspect of our calling and to come alongside brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, As Anglicans, we have a real opportunity, uh, an opportunity to humbly and graciously stand together with those around the world uh, who are following Christ together to pray for revival, to pray for renewal, and to pray for a world that desperately needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, um, you are our Savior, and you are our King. And Lord, that you have done um, what you have done to save us. You gave your life on the cross. And Lord, because of that, uh, we can have new life with you and new life um, forever. And so, Lord, we want to live into that new life, that eternal life here and now as your family. Lord, as a church of the apostles, we want to be a part of your global family. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for those who are seeking to follow you in places where it costs much. Lord, we want to pray for those who are suffering in the name of Jesus. We want to pray for people like Joe and Steve in the Sudan Lord, we pray especially for the violence that's erupted there, that there would be peace and that you would be glorified and that many would come to faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, as we explore what it means for us to live out our calling uh, as a church, would you help us to lock arms with people around the world who are following Jesus, that we might be a part of what you're doing to bring many, many, many to faith in Christ. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.